We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 175 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, October 27th, 2021, the day after the Washington football team's reignited workplace misconduct scandal busted out at the NFL's fall league meeting in New York. You know, the NFL doesn't like it when things get in the way of business and making money. And on Tuesday, 12 former Washington team employees put out a letter and caused waves that got in the way of the NFL's business and making money. Commissioner Roger Goodell said that there's no written report for the Beth Wilkinson investigation because former employees who came forward wanted anonymity. It's their fault that there's no written report for the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Uh, They're calling Goodell a liar. NFL owners were being asked about the scandal. There was a lot happening with the scandal, which we thought was over, but has been brought back to life by these leaked Bruce Allen emails. I will go in-depth on the latest next segment, including where this might all be leading for Dan Snyder. But hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. It's actually a minor miracle that this show is here for you. We dealt with injury in the Galdi household on Tuesday. My four-year-old son fractured his left elbow. Yeah, fell down the stairs. Uh, Dada tried to break the fall, but did not break it enough. I feel terrible for him. Uh, So as Tuesday was chaotic at the NFL's fall league meeting, so too was Tuesday chaotic in the Galdi household. We have been told this is a four-week recovery. Uh, Looks like he'll be going 
on the reserve injured list. We're hoping to activate him in a few weeks, but don't ask me about injuries, all right? I'm like Ron Rivera. I tried to tell you guys, don't ask me about a timeline, okay? I, I can't tell you. I've tried to tell you guys, I, I gave no time frame, okay? Yep, that's yeah, okay. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, anyway, I am here. We are here together again. And I have a special guest for you on the show. Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. As most of you know, J.P. is terrific when it comes to talking about the team and knowing what's going on with the team. And we're going to get into a lot with the team. Where this season is headed, the why behind the defensive struggles, what's going on with Chase Young, where Ron Rivera is at with Taylor Heineke, and much more. My conversation with J.P. Finley is coming up shortly. Also, I want to talk about an item that's gained some attention in recent weeks for Washington. Ron Rivera continually deferring when winning the coin toss. Uh, Washington, as you may know, has had a bit of a problem this season in terms of allowing touchdowns on opponents' first offensive drives of games. Should Ron change how he is handling winning the coin toss? The answer is no. I'll explain why. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Robert Krakauer on the Washington football team's quarterback situation. Writes Robert, to me, one of the chief reasons that Ron Rivera is hesitant to bench Taylor Heineke is that doing so would leave Ron with no fallback options. If Heineke gets benched and Kyle Allen plays poorly or gets injured, then what? Ron would be forced to trot Heineke out there again, but this time as a necessity who Ron tried and failed to do away with. That would be ugly and awkward for all involved, and I think Rivera sees this. There's too much time left in the season to take this risk. In six weeks, it becomes more palatable. Rivera is Captain Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Ron has one bullet in his chamber of quarterbacks, and he should deploy it wisely. Giving Heineke time to grow is the best option for the team at this point. Yeah, you know, what's going on with Ryan Fitzpatrick right now is significant. Uh, that Fitzpatrick does not appear to be close to playing again soon has helped to convince Ron to staunchly stand by Heineke as Washington's starting quarterback for right now. I do think that things would be different if Fitzpatrick was nearing being ready to play. And that's not to say that Ron doesn't like things about Heineke, because I think that Ron does. But remember, Fitzpatrick was supposed to be Washington's starting quarterback this season, not Heineke. Uh, email from Adam Pohl, the voice of the Bowie Bay Sox on the Washington football team, not on Adley Rutschman, uh, writes Adam, the NFL and its fans are the kings of short-term viewpoints, breaking down individual plays and acting like they are life and death for a season and a franchise. What I enjoy about how you view things is that you are always thinking about a long-term approach. Thank you, Adam. Continues Adam. Unfortunately, the two seem married a bit right now. The live in the now angst, even though somewhat misguided towards our current quarterback, should be there because our long-term outlook seems bleak. Coming off a season in which our team was a lovable club nationally, a feel-good story, this year presented a huge opportunity, even without major short-term picture opportunity, to win big in 2021. With a young and exciting defense and a respected defensive coach mixing with a young offensive coordinator on the rise, there was a legit chance we could lure a big quarterback to Washington 
to be our Tom Brady in Tampa. I saw that as our main chance in taking this thing to a completely different level in 2022 and beyond, and now that feels gone. Next year will be a season with a new defensive coach trying to write these pieces with a similar quarterback setup that could include a rookie. Of course, it shapes up to be a bad year to draft a quarterback. Painting a picture in which we are really good in two to three years is ambitious. Maybe someone can come in and figure out a way to make all of these defensive pieces mesh in 2022 for Ron, and we can get a Dallas quarterback injury that allows us to sneak in to the playoffs again. Hail to the commanders. Uh, Thank you for the email, Adam. Excellent point on the potential for the Washington football team to have been like the pre-Tom Brady Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know that that seems laughable right now, but that was the thinking. The idea of the defense being built up enough and the playmakers on offense being built up enough to where just decent quarterback play might have been good enough and or Washington then could make the play for the true franchise quarterback as soon as one was realistically available or was readily available. And instead, as things stand right now, you may have to rethink this entire defense this offseason. We'll see. But that's why it does matter very much what happens with this defense the rest of the season. Does the defense get better and prove itself not to be the disaster that it has been so far this season? Or does the defense continue to be among the worst in the NFL? Understand that Washington's defense through week seven is 28th out of 32 teams in the NFL in total defense for football outsiders, DVOA metric, 28th. And we're seven weeks into the season. You know, it's not early anymore. Now, there's still plenty of season left, but this isn't mid-September. This is late October. Halloween is this weekend. If this season's Washington defense is a Halloween candy, uh, it's raisins, okay? Yeah, nothing was worse when you were going trick-or-treating and some creepo across the street put raisins in your Halloween bag. Thankfully, that was not too common. Well, when it comes to your health, did you know that skin cancer is the most common of all cancers? Yeah, in fact, skin cancer accounts for nearly half of all cancer cases in the United States. There's no reason not to get screened. There's no reason not to stay on top of the health of your skin. If you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer, and haven't seen a doctor in a while. Always know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan, big listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer, including something that's a game-changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer 
doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option. And Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area. And SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401. Or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, my conversation with Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington is coming up next segment. But because the Washington football team is the Washington football team, we had news on Tuesday regarding the Washington football team that had nothing to do with football. So taking place this week in New York is the NFL's fall league meeting. Uh, This is the league's first in-person meeting since December 2019 due to the wonderful thing known as the COVID-19 pandemic. These league meetings are events at which owners and high-level executives uh, talk about what's going on in the NFL, make potential changes to the NFL, and probably laugh about all of the money that they're all making. Anyway, 12 former Washington team employees, 10 women and two men, signed a letter that was dated for Tuesday, October 26th, and was addressed to the NFL's Social Justice Committee. The letter was distributed to the media. The letter calls for, quote, the NFL to make public the findings of the investigation into the Washington football team And quote, uh, the investigation, of course, is the Beth Wilkinson investigation into the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal, a scandal that, remember, was over, was done, was finished, and has been resurrected by these leaked Bruce Allen emails, the emails that cost John Gruden his job as Las Vegas Raiders head coach. Who leaked these emails remains unknown. As we have discussed, there is a theory that Dan Snyder leaked the emails in order to exact revenge on Bruce Allen, but we don't know with certainty that Dan leaked the emails. And in fairness to Dan, one of his lawyers has denied Dan having leaked the emails. But understand, a scandal that was dead has been resurrected by these leaked Bruce Allen emails. So this letter, I mentioned that it was addressed to the NFL Social Justice Committee. The NFL Social Justice Committee features five owners, Gail Benson of the New Orleans Saints, Michael Bidwill, who went to Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland, my high school, Uh, Michael Bidwill of the Arizona Cardinals, Arthur Blank of the Atlanta Falcons, Jimmy Haslam of the Cleveland Browns, and Shahid Khan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, the letter is about the NFL releasing the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation in full. Remember, there was no written Beth Wilkinson report. The only thing that we got was a statement from the NFL summarizing the conclusions of the investigation and the outcomes of the investigation. Now, the statement was lengthy, but the statement was very much lacking in specifics. Reads the letter from the 12 former Washington team employees in part, quote, While your working group was formed to address issues of racial justice in the league, 
You also have the ability to seek justice for the hundreds of women and men such as us who bravely came forward to share stories of harassment and abuse we experienced while employees of the WFT. The NFL should not be allowed to encourage employees to come forward at great personal and professional risk to speak to investigators, only to sweep the results of that investigation under the rug. As former employees of the team, we experience firsthand and can personally attest to the sexist and misogynistic culture of the WFT. This investigation into the WFT was an important step in addressing the widespread harassment and abuse of women within one franchise of the NFL. If the NFL discloses the results of the investigation and takes meaningful steps to address the underlying problems, that will send the message that the league does not tolerate misogyny and abuse. To date, the league has sent the opposite message by failing to disclose the findings of the investigation and by ignoring calls to do so by WFT employees, lawyers, activists, and most recently, Congress. The league is communicating that it is more interested in protecting wealthy owners and preserving misogynist and abusive structures than in reckoning with its cultural problems. Until the investigation's findings are made public, we will not know the extent of the harm that occurred or the reasons this culture was allowed to fester for so long. End quote. All right. Uh, so a few things here. Point number one. What the 12 former Washington team employees did on Tuesday was a carefully orchestrated public relations stunt. There's no question about that. Now, it's a PR stunt with a very laudable cause in mind, but this was calculated, this was well thought out, and this did garner a lot of attention. Point number two, it's notable that the letter asks for, quote, the NFL to make public the findings of the investigation into the Washington football team, end quote. Notice that the letter does not ask for the Beth Wilkinson report. That's because, as best as we can tell, there is no written Beth Wilkinson report. Uh, this was very smart on the NFL's part. If you never have a written report, then there is no written report that can be released. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't pages and pages of notes, and that doesn't mean that there isn't some documentation of presumably an oral report that Beth Wilkinson delivered, but there is no written report. And I would not be at all surprised if the NFL never releases anything under the guise of, hey, what do you want us to do? There is no written report. Point number three, of course, the right thing to do here would be for the NFL to be fully transparent and reveal everything, or at least most of what was found in the investigation. Of course, that would be the morally proper thing to do, okay? You want transparency. You want accountability. You want closure for the victims in all of this. But of course, doing what's right, doing what's moral, ain't what the NFL is about. Never has been, never will be. The NFL is about making money. Billions upon billions of dollars in revenue per year. Releasing the specific findings of something like this Beth Wilkinson investigation gets in the way of the NFL making money. Make no mistake about that. But point number four, what these 12 former Washington team employees did on Tuesday is another brick in the wall that is the potential thing 
that could cause the other NFL owners to truly sour on Dan Snyder. And that thing is, quite simply, annoyance. So as I have detailed on this podcast, Dan Snyder basically has done nothing but win over the course of this year. Oh, not necessarily win games, but win controversies. The workplace misconduct scandal, the ownership turmoil, even the ongoing name change. Dan Snyder has emerged from all of these things more powerful than ever before, right? NFL owners on March 31st at a previous league meeting, the annual league meeting, approved Danny buying out his disgruntled minority partners, Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith, at the reported discounted price of $875 million, with a reported $450 million debt waiver. Dan, despite all of the controversies, was helped out in buying out the disgruntled minority owners and at a discounted price. It's amazing when you say it out loud. Dan is more powerful now than ever before in terms of his ownership stake in the team that we call the Washington football team. And don't forget that Danny, during all of this, got to appoint his wife, Tanya Snyder, as co-CEO. However, this workplace misconduct scandal just isn't going away. Like I said, this scandal was done, and now it's back. And if, in fact, Dan leaked the Bruce Allen emails that have brought back the scandal, could you not see the other owners really starting to get sick of Dan and fed up with Dan? Understand, the NFL is not run by Commissioner Roger Goodell. I always find it funny when people go nuts ripping Goodell and asking why Goodell doesn't do this or doesn't do that. Roger Goodell doesn't run the NFL people. The owners run the NFL. Roger Goodell works for the owners. The most powerful person in the NFL isn't Roger Goodell. The most powerful person in the NFL is Jerry Jones or Arthur Rooney II or John Mara, or Robert Kraft. Pick an owner. The owners truly run the NFL. The owners truly decide what goes on in the NFL. And the owners have tolerated Dan. The owners have put up with Dan. But if he himself has reignited a scandal that was over by leaking these Bruce Allen emails, and now this reignited scandal is resulting in things like Congress asking questions and these 12 former Washington team employees doing as they did on Tuesday. Could you not see the other owners saying, all right, Dan, just get out, okay? Enough is enough with you. We don't need you. We've never needed you. You've done a terrible job as Washington owner. Your team is an embarrassment in terms of attendance and local television ratings. You can't even honor an all-time great in Sean Taylor correctly. Just go away. We can find someone better than you to run a franchise in a top 10 television market like Washington, D.C. Could you not see that happening? Because I could. And here's something else. So it turns out that Dan may well, in fact, have been suspended off the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation. So remember, July 1st, we got the findings and ultimate ramifications of the Beth Wilkinson investigation, although again, not an actual written report on the investigation. But the ramification announced by the NFL 
was Washington paying $10 million, which was to be, quote, used to support organizations committed to character education, anti-bullying, healthy relationships, and related topics, end quote. The ramification announced by both the NFL in a statement and by Dan Snyder in a separate statement was that Tanya Snyder, who was named co-CEO just two days earlier, golly gee, what a coincidence, was assuming responsibilities of CEO and overseeing all day-to-day team operations and representation of the club on all league activities, and that Dan would be concentrating his time, quote, during the next several months on developing a new stadium plan and other matters, end quote. Well, the team has been very sensitive about people calling what happened with Dan a suspension. In fact, people in the media who called what happened to Dan a suspension have been scolded for calling what happened to Dan a suspension. The messaging has been, that's not a suspension. And the team has been very clear on that. Well, did you see what Peter King had this week? NFL insider Peter King of NBC Sports in his Football Morning in America column that was published early Monday morning wrote as if Dan Snyder has been suspended. Quote, I'll be interested to see when Daniel Snyder gets his full authority back. If it keeps getting put off, parentheses, and no one is certain when Commissioner Roger Goodell will fully reinstate him, end of parentheses, suspicions will rise that he's being kept in the doghouse because the league may think he or his reps are behind the leaking of information that got John Gruden dismissed and tarnished former club president Bruce Allen and league legal counsel Jeff Pash, end quote. So there's a lot there, including Peter King bringing up this notion of Dan Snyder having potentially leaked the Bruce Allen emails. But how about what Peter says when he says no one is certain when Commissioner Roger Goodell will fully reinstate him as in Dan. Now, put off to the side the idea that it is Goodell who truly makes the decision on when to reinstate a suspended owner. The fact is, Peter King is saying that Dan Snyder is a suspended owner. That's significant. I mean, that right there from Peter pretty clearly indicates that Dan was suspended. Now, also from Peter in this column was him misspelling Tanya Snyder's first name. Uh, Tanya in Tanya Snyder is spelled T-A-N-Y-A. The column has Tanya as being spelled T-O-N-Y-A. So perhaps that lessens Peter's credibility. I don't know. But seriously, that's a big deal that Peter had that Dan Snyder suspension nugget in the column. By the way, reportedly representing Washington at this NFL 2021 Fall League meeting taking place in New York this week are co-owner and co-CEO Tanya Snyder, Tanya with a T-A, team president Jason Wright, and chief operating officer Greg Resch, not Dan. And so, if the league, which is truly run by the owners, did suspend Dan, and if Dan did leak the Bruce Allen emails that have resurrected this workplace misconduct scandal, and if the owners are finally fed up with Dan, then yes, we may be in the process of, wait for it, the end of Dan Snyder as the owner of the team, currently known as the Washington football team. 
How about that? For a statement. How about that? For a potential development. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, that would be a happy Thanksgiving. But look, we are a ways away from Dan being ousted as owner of the Washington football team. I am not counting on that happening. Many, many, many things would have to happen in order for that to happen. But I tell you what, given everything that has transpired with this franchise over the last 25 months, I'm not dismissing that happening as a possibility. Well, the possibility of someone not doing a good job of selling your home and the possibility of that someone ripping you off in terms of the commission are real. You don't deserve that. Don't put up with that. Instead, call John Grandland of Real Broker because he offers commission flex. Listen up if you're looking to sell your home. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are over. John Grandland is changing the game with his groundbreaking concept of commission flex. You know how Ron Rivera always talks about position flex? Position flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Well, John Grandlin offers commission flex. What is commission flex, you ask? It's simple, flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John Grandlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, zero commission. Some conditions do apply, but interviewing John Grandlin is a no-brainer. He can come buy your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. So if you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Grandland. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. Call John Grandland now at 703-537-6747. When you talk to John Grandlin, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747 or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron. Just like Position Flex. My chat with Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington is up next. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now a special guest. He is Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, the host of the Washington Football Talk podcast, the co-host of B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan. He is one of the best when it comes to talking about the Washington football team and having intel on the Washington football team. And it's great to have J.P. back on the pod. Hey, J.P., how are you, man? Happy to join anytime, Al. Always good to talk. So a lot of ways that we could begin our conversation. Let's start with actual football. We know that things are not good right now at two and five. Do you believe that this team has within it a run to at least say respectability by the end of the season? Or do you believe that this is going to end up being a bad season? That this is just a bad team that's going to finish with a bad record? Um... I, this might sound stupid, but I think maybe both those things can be true. Like, uh, so they're two and five right now. I, I think they're going to beat Denver, Carolina, Seattle. A st- caveat is that you still get playing Geno and not Russ. Um, it gets them to five, and then they've got the five division games late in the year, and I can see them winning two out of those five games. Giants and the Eagles don't look very good. So then... Does that get you to seven and ten? Is that respectable? I don't know, but you'd be winning five out of your last ten games. I, I don't know if that counts as a late season. I don't think there's a late season charge where they make the playoffs or anything like that. I, I don't think they finish above five hundred. I think more than likely they finish at six wins, six and eleven. Um, I can kind of hear the Spurrier voice in my head, even though he was five. (laughs) Uh, But uh, listen, no matter what the final record ends up being, say they say they lose out and go two and fifteen, which I don't think is going to happen. But say it's it's real bad and it's four and thirteen or or five and twelve. Six and ten is also really bad. I don't want to pretend that that six and eleven rather isn't bad. Regardless what the final record is, 
this year is very alarming because it revealed that the plan that was in place is not going to work. Um, you're not just going to build up this excellent defense and drop a quarterback in later because, in fact, the defense is not excellent. So that's something that I want to get into with you, this Washington defense. We know that it's bad, but why is it so bad? Like, the level of bad that this Washington defense has been at this season really is stunning. Even if you thought that the defense was overrated last season, no way were you thinking that this defense would be as bad as it has been so far this season. Do you have a theory as to why the defense has been as disappointing as it has been this season? I mean, I have theories, but I I don't know the answer. Um, If I knew the answer, I feel like I'd be making a lot more money. I I think think there's a confluence of factors, right? I think when they went on their late-season surge last year, they were playing bad quarterbacks by and large. And I think that makes a huge impact. Um, I mean, just look at the games they've won this year versus the the QBs that have been on the field and the games they've lost. Um, So I, I think... Perhaps things were a little inflated last year because of their success against... I mean, even go back to the Bengals game, because to me, the the play that turned around their season last year was Chase Young's goal line hit on Joe Burrow that forced the fumble. Um, I think, you know, Burrow goes out of that game. I think that was just before halftime, and I think Burrow goes out of that game early in the third quarter when he gets hit and wrecks his knee up. Um, I think if Burrow stays in that game, they don't win that game. And then... I, who knows what happens after that? Because then their record falls even worse, and et cetera. Um, so you beat Ryan Finley, you beat Nick Mullins, uh, the, the combination of Ben DiNucci and Andy Dalton twice. Um, you know, I don't know that they win Week 17 last year if Billy doesn't pull Jalen Hurts and Nate Sunfeld comes out. So I, 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 I've been saying that for a while, and and I do think there's there's real truth to that. Um, but I also think there's talent that has underperformed this year, and I think there was an overassessment of talent. I think the talent on the defensive line is is very legitimate. Um, I think John Allen's probably having his best season ever. I I still think Chase Young is a is a really good football player. Um, I, I think they're perhaps overinvested there in hindsight, just with the draft capital, but. Um, I think linebacker's been a real problem. I think we knew that going in. I think they should have done more to bring in uh, veteran free agents there. Uh, Jamin Davis may end up helping you down the road, but he, he, he certainly doesn't, didn't help you day one. I, I do think it's smart that they're finally just letting him play um, and take the mistakes, but, but take the good and just let him learn. That's what you got to see out of the, the kid. I, I found it very curious. Ron Rivera is a guy that always talks about, I play my rookies, I don't draft them to sit. And then his first rounder, he wouldn't play for six weeks of the season. Um, I think the back end is really where it fell apart. Um, you know, when they got hot last year, Landon Collins wasn't on the field. And Bobby McCain wasn't on the field. And Landon Collins has proved to be a, a legitimate liability in coverage over and over again. And then I think that forces other people to try to make up for him. And it's like a – it's like – you know, Jenga or whatever. Like when one piece isn't strong, the whole thing can come crumbling down. Um, and I, I'm not pinning everything on Lane Collins, certainly, because I don't think Kendall Fuller has been close to as good as he's shown in the past. I think William Jackson has been 
a really, really poor signing so far. Um, I think they got more out of Danny Johnson Sunday against the Packers than they did. I don't know. I don't think it's an accident that they played, to me, their best defensive football against Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field without William Jackson and with Landon Collins playing about 40% of the snaps. Yeah. I, I don't think that works. Makes sense. I've wondered about this, and I know that you've seen this with this team in the past. Do you get the sense with this defense that there's more going on here than just that which we know? You know, we've seen this with previous underachieving Washington units where the unit is bad and then at the end of the season, a lot of stuff comes out and it comes out that people weren't getting along. And I'm wondering with this defense, have you heard anything in the way of players not getting along with other players, players not getting along with coaches, maybe, you know, one coach not getting along with another coach, you know, maybe there being issues between Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio, not to incite drama, but again, the level of bad for this defense this season is such that this is not just your normal run-of-the-mill underachieving NFL defense. Yeah, I mean, they have the worst defense in the NFL statistically, not like a bad one, the worst. So I think you're right to ask the questions. Um, by and large, and I, I've asked kind of when the lights are on and when they're not, it, the word is players are sticking together. Everybody's, you know, buying into what the coaches are saying. Um, you know, you go to Denver and lose and fall to two and six and have two weeks to stew over it. And then Brady comes down and drops 45 on you. That might get some some emotions going, but I don't believe that to be the case where guys are blaming one another or, or, or looking at the coaches. You got to remember, too, we're no longer in the locker room. So when I used to get to hang out in the locker room for an hour, 90 minutes every day, I, I would have a little more pulse. Um, you know, now we talk to guys at a podium and there's not a lot of kind of off-the-record interaction or really even like opportunities to just notice things. Um, I, I think a big part of being a beat reporter is just kind of the day-to-day -day observation, um, and, and that's been removed from us. But I don't believe so. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, bet my mortgage on it, but I don't believe that's the case, at least right now. Talking Washington football team with Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. I'm sure that you get asked all the time about Chase Young. When people ask you, what's going on with Chase Young? What kind of a season is Chase Young having? What's your answer? I mean, I think he's having a pretty good season. It's obviously not the immediate impact he made last year as a rookie with that. Wildly, you know, that first game, he was super impressive, but the sack total is not where you'd like it to be. And and I can tell you that coaches and players always say that sacks aren't indicative of, of how you're actually playing. And I like I know that to be true, but still he's he's supposed to be a genera generational talent with two sacks through seven games. Like it's just not enough. Um I think I think he's I think at times he's gotten kind of too far on his own, just desperate to make plays, and he plays himself out of position. 
I think the Bills game was, was really a good example or a bad example of that, where he um, he just seemed to sprint upfield every snap, and then Josh Allen just stepped up into the pocket, into the area he vacated. Yeah. Um, I, I think the whole defense was kind of doing that. Just Rivera continuously talked about maturity and 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 you know, doing whatever your responsibilities were on the field. I think Chase got away from that and perhaps the whole D-line. I wonder, I mean, this is silly and I, a part of our life now that I, I hate even discussing, but I do wonder if, so I don't know this, but it appears that certainly strongly appears that, that Chase and Montez Sweat have, did not get the vaccine. And Ron Rivera went so hard in training camp about the vaccine that I wonder if that just like caused some, I don't know, man. I I just, I circle back to that because Ron was so adamant about it. And then those guys clearly did, it appears anyway, did not get it. And I, I just wonder if that, even if it's unknown, just created some underlying issue or something. I have no idea. Well, one thing that does seem pretty clear is that when Ron Rivera has talked about players deviating from the defensive scheme, Chase Young is one of those players. I don't remember what college coach said this. Maybe you'll remember. But the only player that I feel like they've actually called out by name is is Tim is Tim Settle. And it reminds me of for for the for the undisciplined play, right? And I feel like it reminds me of uh the old NCAA college hoops thing. It's like, yeah, Kentucky got caught cheating, so they punished Murray State. Yeah, right. I mean, that's like the famous Jimmy Johnson story of Jimmy as Dallas Cowboys head coach cutting a Cowboys player for falling asleep in a meeting. And somebody asked Jimmy, hey, Jimmy, what if Troy Aikman had fallen asleep in a meeting? And Jimmy said, well, I would have gotten Troy a pillow. You know, different rules for different people. So quarterback, Taylor Heineke. We all have our opinions on what Taylor Heineke is, what Taylor Heineke can be. What do you think that Ron Rivera thinks about Taylor Heineke? Where do you think that Ron is at right now with Heineke? I think he'd use Heineke as a high-end backup. Um, That's why they signed Fitz, man. (laughs) That's why they gave Fitz 10 times more than they gave Taylor. And I don't think... If everything went according to plan, and obviously it didn't, but if everything went according to plan, Ron didn't want to see Taylor on the field. Yeah, it was not supposed to be that way. It's been interesting to me, though, even with Heineke's recent struggles, Ron does not seem to have any real desire to go to Kyle Allen. And, you know, it's funny, like on the one hand, Ron traded a fifth round pick for Kyle. Ron said what he said about Kyle late last season in regards to Alex Smith. But on the other hand, This past June, when Ron was telling anyone who would listen about this quarterback competition, Ron excluded Kyle Allen. And now that you've had, you know, maybe an opening here to bench Heineke for Kyle, Ron doesn't seem to even want to entertain that notion. Is Ron just posturing and just trying to talk up Heineke publicly? Or is Ron really down on Kyle? Because Ron does seem to have turned on his guy here in Kyle Allen. Um, I think some of it's posturing. I think... I think if Heineke had had another dud against Green Bay in the same fashion we saw against New Orleans and Kansas City, where it really just was awful, um, 
I think it'd be a different tune, especially with the the new approach that got developed in week seven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think Rod is a, is a firm believer in like continuity and a team trying to build character and, and um, like when he says all that stuff, it's not platitudes. Like he needs that stuff. And so I think, you know, do we really think Kyle Allen's demonstrably better than Taylor Heineke? I, I don't. And my guess is they don't. And in turn, it's like, well, we're not going to bench him just to bench him. Now, if Taylor is playing really bad, like he did, I got three really bad games for him. I'd say Bills, Saints, Chiefs. And the Chiefs is the most alarming because their defense stinks. Yeah. The, Bills and Saints have a really good defense. Um, and then, I, you know, so whatever tier you want to say with quarterbacks, right? There are quarterbacks that win you games. That Rod, Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback that wins you games. And then there's quarterbacks that, you can, that give you a chance to win games. And then there's quarterbacks that lose you games, right? And I think, I think Heineke goes back and forth between a quarterback that loses you games and gives you a chance to win games. And I think in Green Bay, he gave them a chance to win games. I, I tell you this, Al, the folks in Ashburn absolutely believe they should have at least one more win and probably two. And that's why I think they might be singing a different tune than, than maybe we are, because I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I probably disagree with that. Um, I think I, I think you're actually closer to one and seven, one and six than you are to four and three. Um, but there are people in Ashburn that do not believe in that, and I think that has kind of impacted their decision making. Those people in Ashburn, I'm assuming they blame the defense for those additional losses. Um, yeah, I mean, the belief in that Saints game is that it was one or two plays, and you can tell which two they are. I mean, Rod said that on the record at the podium, right? Like, yeah. the, the Hail Mary and the bomb to, who was it, um, Harris. And whether you think that's real or not, the math backs it up, just that, you know, they lost by 11, and that's 14 points. Um, I don't buy that. I, I think there were far too many plays and maybe not as big of plays as those, obviously. I think the Hail Mary is laughable and a condemnation on the whole defense, but um, I don't agree with that. I think, and then this Packers game, obviously, you know, if Taylor gets in when he, him not scoring on the third down where it's just wide open to score, I'll never understand. But I also think that's one of those situations where Replay overcomplicated it. Um, you know when you're watching a basketball game down at the end and there's a tipped ball that goes out of bounds and everybody in the arena can see it's off one person and then they go to the, the microsecond super-duper zoomed-in instant replay and it reveals it actually glanced off the other dude's you know middle knuckle on his thumb or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and that's not the spirit of the game to me. Like you, you're, you're, that is not 
what the game is supposed to show. And I feel like that was the case with that touchdown. Like, I, letter of the law, like, they're right. Like, Heineke didn't score. But just the eye test, like, he scored, dude. Like, he very obviously – now, he messed that up. He could have just dove further into the end zone. Or I don't know why he didn't run as fast as he could. There, there are things there. But I, I do think they kind of messed that up by over-interpretation and using, you know, technology when you don't need to. Like, Green Bay thought he scored. Everybody thought he scored. Right. Um, but – there are folks there that are like, all right, if we get in there, then, you know, there was a hold, there was a PI or a hold on Ricky Seals Jones that wasn't called. Like, if you, if you want to, and you'll allow yourself to convince, to believe, you can convince yourself into a series of sliding door moments in that Packers game that Washington should, could have won it. I, I am not of that belief. I think Rodgers had such control in that game that he just would have scored again if he needed to um I'm, but there are people that do believe that yeah that sounds to me like the Bruce Allen thing from a few years ago of we're close you know at some point you got to bottom line it and recognize what you are Washington is two and five with a minus 64 point differential you got to recognize that at some point yeah uh, the off-the-field stuff, look, I know that this stuff gets exhausting and we all get tired hearing about it, reading about it, talking about it. Uh, that said, we know that this stuff matters. And this month of October has been like a nightmare of a month for the Washington football team when you combine the on-the-field losses with the off-the-field controversies. In terms of the off-the-field controversies this month, you know, Ryan Vermillion, the Bruce Allen emails... The Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle. Congressional involvement in the workplace misconduct scandal. Which one of those to you is the most significant? Which one to you matters the most? In in terms of like embarrassing or what could actually matter? What could actually matter? Well, the DEA thing is crazy. Um, And I, listen, the guy's in trouble one way or another. The question to me is, is he in trouble for, did he get pulled over for going 58 in a 55? And if so, who wanted him pulled over? Or was the guy going 90 in a 55 and there's there's real trouble there? Um, but that is kind of specific to Ryan Vermillion and, and maybe the team in some capacity, but like, and all these injuries, dude, I have no idea what the, F they are doing with Curtis Samuel. Put back on IR. Like, what is going on here? Yeah. What is going on with Sheriff? Like, the complacency with injuries that, like, oh, well, we don't need somebody for those roster spots because of the flexibility of the practice squad rules. Like, I understand all that, but like you just said, Goldie, you're two and five with a minus 60 point differential. Maybe sign some other guys. Try to mix it up a little bit. There's a belief in continuity, and then there's a complacency, and and I fear that's a thin line. Um, the, as far the, the the one I'm most interested in, and I don't think we'll ever find this out, but I mean, there's a theory around the league for sure, and then Peter King has kind of made it public, so like you don't have to just like kind of baselessly speculate because once Peter King says something, it kind of enters into a reasonable realm who leaked these emails and if it was Dan to take Bruce out did he 
open Pandora's box in a way that could ultimately bury him? I don't think so. I, I know that Washington fans, many of them pray that that's the case. I don't think it is because I've been told by and large Dan never used email. So whatever smoking gun you're hoping to find, they already know the culture was awful and condoned by ownership. Like we already know that. And they find they fine is the wrong word. Ambassador Gutman emailed me and was like, listen, it's not a real fine. They allow them to make a charitable donation and it's just but whatever, I mean, that's such getting down in the weeds. Um, I think the hope that there's some dirt out there that will get Dan out is what so many folks are clinging to, and I just don't think it exists. Unless you ever get that 1.6 million thing from the from the plane ride in Vegas. I think that's your smoking gun. I don't think that thing ever comes out. Good deal, man. Uh, always enjoy talking Washington football team with you. Appreciate your time very much and continued success. Thank you, dude. Always good to catch up, Goldie. We continue the Washington football team conversation. And right now, I'd like to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about. Strategy. Strategery. Yes, strategery. So something that has become a bit of a thing is Ron Rivera continually deciding to defer when winning the coin toss. Washington for the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon won the coin toss and opted to defer. Washington proceeded to allow the Packers to score a touchdown on their first offensive drive of the game, a 13-play, 75-yard drive that consumed 7 minutes, 49 seconds off the clock, resulted in Aaron Rodgers' first quarter, 4th and 3, 17-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Devontae Adams. This marked the fifth time in seven games this season that Washington won the coin toss. Washington has chosen to defer on each of those five occasions, and this marked the fifth time in seven games this season that Washington allowed a touchdown on the opponent's first offensive drive of the game, and this marked the sixth time in seven games this season that Washington gave up points on the opponent's first offensive drive of the game. If it seems like Washington has gotten torched by opponents on their first offensive drives of games this season, that's because Washington has gotten torched by opponents on their first offensive drives of games this season. And so Ron Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, was asked whether he is going to continue to defer when winning coin tosses. Well, I like that option just because of the situation it gets, you know. At some point, we're going to play better defense. At some point, we'll get stops. We'll make stops on the first uh, first drive, or at least I believe we can, or we have that ability. Um, because I, th- I think the thing that you got to understand, too, is, is we want to keep the option going into the second half. You know, if you can keep everything, uh, you know, within reach and you do things correctly uh, – it just plays into the theory of being able to touch the ball first in the second half and being the ones that get to touch the ball last gives yourself a chance to win. All right. So that was not a great answer by Ron, but he is correct with his answer. By the way, I like what Ron said near the beginning of that cut. Quote, at some point, we're going to play better defense. At some point, We'll get stops. We'll make stops on the first drive, or at least I believe we can, or we have that ability, end quote. I know that Ron wasn't trying to be funny, but that sounded pretty funny. 
at some point we're going to play better defense. At some point we'll get stops. We'll make stops on the first uh, first drive, or at least I believe we can, or we have that ability. Yeah, there you go. All right, so let's get into this. The strategy of deferring and why it is pretty much always the right way to go. So first of all, there are details here with the rules that are notable. Prior to 2008, the coin toss for an NFL game was governed by the winner of the coin toss getting to choose one of two privileges, receive the game opening kickoff versus kick the game opening kickoff, or pick the goal for the team to defend. And then prior to the start of the second half, the captains of both teams informed the officials of those captains' teams' respective choices with the loser of the original coin toss getting first choice. And so what, of course, basically always happened was that the team that won the coin toss chose to receive the game opening kickoff because otherwise the opposing team could receive the opening kickoff of each half. But things changed in 2008 when the NFL adopted a rule that gave an additional option to the team that won the coin toss. That additional option was that the team that won the coin toss could defer its decision on making the first choice to the second half. Now, these are semantics because the team that loses the coin toss isn't going to opt to not receive the game opening kickoff given that the team that won the coin toss is certainly going to opt to receive the second half opening kickoff. But you get the idea. The percentage of teams deferring of winning coin tosses has skyrocketed. So over the 2008 through 2010 regular seasons, 32% of NFL teams that won coin tosses deferred. That's it, 32%. Over the 2011 and 2012 regular seasons, 49% of NFL teams that won coin tosses deferred. Over the 2013 and 2014 regular seasons, 65% of NFL teams that one coin toss is deferred. And over the 2015 through 2017 regular seasons, 83% of NFL teams that one coin tosses deferred. Now, it's interesting. There is no mathematically proven advantage to deferring. Understand that. But I do believe that deferring is the right strategy for several reasons. Number one, crowd noise. In theory, a crowd is at one of its loudest points at the beginning of the game, right? Because people are excited and uh, ginned up for the game. And a crowd is at one of its quietest points right after halftime because nothing in the game has happened for a while and plenty of people have left their seats. So if you're on the road, you're better off being on defense at the beginning of the game with the crowd potentially at one of its loudest points, and you're better off being on offense at the beginning of the second half with the crowd at one of its quietest points. And if you're home, you're better off being on defense at the beginning of the game with the crowd at one of its loudest points. A second reason that deferring is the right strategy, the double whammy. Getting the ball to begin the second half gives you the opportunity to pull off the double whammy, scoring a touchdown at the end or near the end of the first half, and then scoring a touchdown on the first offensive drive of the second half. Now, of course, Washington rarely does this. In fact, I can't even remember the last time that Washington pulled off the double whammy, but that doesn't mean that pulling off the double whammy isn't possible, and it's one of the great feats that an NFL team can achieve in a game. You score at or near the end of the first half, 
You get the ball to begin the second half, and you score on that offensive drive. And then a third reason that deferring is the right strategy, the idea that you put yourself at a disadvantage in starting on defense is just wrong. Your defense is going to have to get stops in a game in order for you to win that game. Whether the opportunity for that initial stop comes on the first offensive drive of the game or the second offensive drive of the game, doesn't matter. You know, I've heard people ask Ron and or get on Ron about him continually deferring. He's making the right call. The problem is what's happening after Ron defers. The defense is giving up touchdowns. That's the problem. The problem is the play, not the strategy. Strategery. Yes, exactly. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 176, will feature a ton on the Washington football team off it on Wednesday, beginning the team's practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Denver Broncos at 425. We anticipate hearing from Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke on Wednesday via each guy's post-practice press conference. Also, a post-game games for the Capitals and Wizards on Wednesday night. The Caps on Wednesday night will host the Detroit Red Wings at 7. The Wizards on Wednesday night will be at the Boston Celtics at 7.30. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. At some point, we're going to play better defense. At some point, we'll get stops. We'll make stops on the first, uh, first drive, or at least I believe we can, or we have that ability.